Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and he told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth, in, in between its teeth, it was, uh, sorry, try it again. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces, and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts... Their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now, we're not going to be able to cover all of these verses tonight, but we're going to take some time to deal with what Daniel writes here in chapter 7 and these verses. And we're also going to only get as far as covering the first three beasts of the four beasts that he sees in his vision. But we need to go back to Daniel 7 verse 1. Look closely, though, at how verse 1 tells us that this dream vision, if you will, that this happened during Belshazzar's first year of being king of Babylon. Now, for some of you, if you've been following along, this is a jump back in time. You remember? Belshazzar was the king who was having that big party when the nation was being attacked by Cyrus and his armies. And remember how he had been defeated in the kingdom of the, uh, the Medes and the Persians came in? That's what we've looked at over the last few weeks. But actually, what we have in chapter 7 and chapter 8 actually go back now in time. And so this is, it says here, Belshazzar's first year of reigning as king of Babylon. Remember from our study of Babylonian way of counting, what year was this then of his kingship? His second year. Remember, they didn't count the first year. It was his second year. But when they said it was his first year, it was actually his second year. So this puts it about 553 B.C., and this puts Daniel's visions of chapters 7 and 8, because they go together a lot, between chapters 4 and chapters 5 in Daniel's chronology. So if you were to put this in chronological order, chapters 7 and 8 would go between chapter 4 and 5. Okay, that's when it happened. Now, when Daniel has this vision, it's now been 50 years since Nebuchadnezzar had his vision. 
Remember the statue with the decreasing values of metals, and it talked about the different kingdoms and all? Nebuchadnezzar had his vision of the statues. It's now been 50 years since that vision that Daniel has this vision of the four beasts. Now, it's also been nine years since Nebuchadnezzar has died, and 14 years before Belshazzar will be killed at his feast, bringing a close to the Babylonian kingdom. So make sure you're tracking with me here. Nebuchadnezzar had his dream of the statue 50 years prior to Daniel's vision. Nebuchadnezzar at this point has been dead for nine years. And remember how we talked about how Belshazzar is killed that night when the Medes and the Persians take over the kingdom? It's 14 years prior to that. So that's when this is all happening. Now, if you were to break down the book of Daniel into chapters 1 through 6 and 7 through 12, chapters 1 through 6 of Daniel have shown us how God is sovereign over the affairs of men, and how he'll take care of those who trust him, even though wicked men plot their desires and plot their demise. So that's what we could sum up chapters 1 through 6 talk about. But chapters 7 through 12 are going to show that this sovereign God also controls the timing of the kingdoms of men. And how after the kingdoms of men are brought to a close, God will set up his own kingdom on the earth. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at now in the rest of our study of Daniel. You're going to see as we get into chapter 7, chapter 8 chapter 9, we're going to see some amazing prophecy. Much has been fulfilled already, which can show us that the parts that haven't been fulfilled yet will happen literally like they said they would. And it's just going to be a fun study. We've moved through the first six chapters pretty fast because a lot of them are stories. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and so on. We're going to slow down now in our study of Daniel when we get into chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and so on because of the depth of detail that there is in this study. So tonight, we're just going to take a look at Daniel's vision of these four beasts. And like I said, Lord willing, we'll get maybe through three of them. All right. Now, Daniel has a dream, a vision of four beasts that come up out of the sea. And look closely, though, it says he saw them come out of the great sea. It, it, it's a way of clarifying. He's not talking the Mediterranean Sea or the Sea of Galilee. Actually, all through the scripture, we see that God uses the term waters of, of some sort to describe the Gentile nations. All right, so I'm going to show you a bunch to kind of show you and illustrate this, set the stage, because it's very important. And when it talks about these king, kingdoms or these beasts coming out of the great sea, it's talking about the Gentile nations. Again, God has used waters to describe the Gentile nations all along. Go to Isaiah chapter 8. I'm going to give you about six passages that kind of illustrate this for us. Go to Isaiah chapter 8. Look at verses 6 through 8. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, therefore behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. So here God says, because you have rejected the waters that I offer you, the water of life, I'm going to send the waters of the nation of Assyria, the Gentiles, to come and to destroy you. Go to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 22 through 26. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 22. Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people is coming from the north country, 
A great nation is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. They lay hold on bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring sea. They ride on horses, set in array as a man for battle. Against you, O daughter of Zion, we have heard the report of it. Our hands fall helpless. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain as of a woman in labor. Go not out into the field, nor walk on the road, for the enemy has a sword. Terror is on every side. O daughter of my people, put on sackcloth and roll in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. So again, he talks about this nation coming from the north and a great nation stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. And the sound of them is like a roaring what? Roaring sea. Go to Jeremiah 47. Go to Jeremiah 47. Look at verses 1 and 2. In Jeremiah chapter 47, verses 1 and 2, the scripture says this. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Thus says the Lord, Behold, waters are rising out of the north and shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and all those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out, and every inhabitant of the land shall wail. So here's a prophecy about the judgment that's going to be coming on the nation of the Philistines. And again, the Gentile nations are described as waters. And the waters are rising out of the north and become an overflowing torrent, and they'll overflow the land. All right, go to Matthew 13. In Matthew chapter 13, look at verses 47 through 50. Matthew 13, starting in verse 47. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here he's talking about the final judgment and how the separation of the nations and what's going to happen is it's going to be thrown like a net into the sea, which is the Gentile nations. And the righteous are going to be spared. The wicked are going to be cast into the fire. Go to Isaiah again. Go back to Isaiah chapter 17. Isaiah 17, verses 12 through 14. In Isaiah 17, verses 12 through 14, it says, All the thunder of many peoples, they thunder like the thundering of the sea. Ah, the roar of nations, they roar like the roaring of mighty waters. The nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away. Chased like a chaff, like chaff on the mountains before the wind and whirling dust before the storm. At evening time, behold terror. Before morning, they are no more. This is the portion of those who loot us and the lot of those who plunder us. So here in this prophecy and the judgment that's coming, there's going to be these nations that come and they're going to make all this hubbub, but God's going to protect Israel in this prophecy. But again, the nations are described as many waters, as a stirring of a great sea. One of the best illustrations of this is in Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17, look at verse 1 and then verse 15. Some of you are saying, Jim... I, I kind of see what you're saying. I'm not sure I see it. Stick with me. Stick with me. Go to Revelation 17. Look at verse 1 and look at verse 15. 
It said in Revelation 17, verse 1, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Jump down to verse 15. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So it's pretty clear now what the waters are, right? The waters are the Gentile nations. God, all throughout history, has been trying to reveal himself first to the people of Israel, to then be a light to the Gentile nations around, that he may be known across the whole globe, across the whole world, that everyone would know that he is God and the creator. At the same time, because of Israel's disobedience, he's allowed these other nations to bring judgment on them over a time, for periods of time. And all through those times, those nations were described as waters or the great sea. And again, at the very end, we see that Daniel's been given this vision of these four beasts, these four kingdoms that have come out of the great sea. And we see also in Revelation at the same time, at the final judgment at the end of the tribulation period, all of the nations and their wickedness are going to be judged because of that. But the great sea is the Gentile nations. That's going to be important for us later on in our study tonight. The great sea is the Gentile nations. But Daniel also saw that the great sea was being stirred up by what? Go back to Daniel chapter 7. The great sea, the Gentile nations were being stirred up by what? Verse 2. And Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Again, Scripture is going to reveal to us what the four winds of heaven is. You've heard me say all along. Whenever the Bible uses symbolic language, it tells you what the symbolism represents all the time. If it doesn't say it's symbolic, take it literally. But again, the four winds of heaven has been used throughout Scripture. I'm going to show you some of them. And again, it gives us actually three aspects to understand about the four winds of heaven. Um, the first thing is this, the universality of something or something being worldwide the four winds are described as something happening across the whole globe, worldwide. Go to Jeremiah 49. I'll let you see what I'm talking about. Jeremiah 49, verses 34 through 38. In Jeremiah 49, we'll start in verse 34. Here's a judgment about Elam. It's going to be coming to Elam. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah the king of Judah... Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the mainstay of their might, and I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven. And I will scatter them to all those winds, and there shall be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall not come. I will terrify Elam before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger declares the Lord. I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them, and I will set my throne in Elam and destroy their king and officials, declares the Lord. So he's going to bring the, break the bow of Elam, and he's going to bring upon the Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and there's not anywhere that they won't be scattered. Again, the four winds are describing the worldwide nature of this judgment that's going to come on Elam. Go to Zechariah. Go to Zechariah chapter 2. Look at verse 6. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. 
Here he's speaking to the nation of Israel. And as you know, they've been scattered all throughout time, or at least now, to the whole globe. And at the end, God's going to be gathering the nation of Israel from all the four corners of the heaven and bring them back into Jerusalem. And he's going to rule and reign from there. There's been a regathering of Israel in part where people are actually going back to Israel and Jews are wanting to go back to the land. But are there Jews still in Fort Lauderdale? Are there Jews still in New York City? There are Jews still a lot all over the globe. As much as there's, it's called the Aliyah is what they call it, the desire to go back to their land. And it's happening and Israel's been growing as a nation. But it's not the final fulfillment because the Bible says that God is going to be gathering from the four winds of heaven from all over the whole globe and bringing them back into the land in the end of the last days. Go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 47. Sorry, not 47. Let's go, to, uh, let's go to Mark. We'll just go to Mark. Go to Mark 13. Go to Mark 13. Look at verses 24 through 27. Mark 13, verses 24 through 27. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven." Again, this is talking about the regathering of Israel at the end of the tribulation period. This is at the end of that tribulation period. Remember, the church is already gone at that time to be with Jesus. We're going to come back with him when he sets up his kingdom and rules and reigns. But when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period, he's going to gather the Jews that have survived from where? All over. It's a worldwide thing, a universality thing. The four winds is a picture of it happening across the whole globe. Let's hear how it's described in Matthew. Go to Matthew 24, verse 31. In Matthew 24, verse 31, Jesus said this. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, and if you know anything about Matthew 24, he's described the whole tribulation period from the beginning to the end. After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then will, so I started in verse 29, I apologize. I started in verse 29, verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So here we see from Scripture when it says that, that God was stirring up or the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. This is happening across the globe. This work that God's doing is not just centered in one little area, but he's doing something across the whole earth. There's also a second aspect of the four winds. It also not only talks about a universality of something or something being worldwide, but it's also talking about divine involvement or activity. Again, it's the four winds of what? Of heaven. God's involved in this. This is something that's happening worldwide that God is doing. Uh, go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel. You'll see this. This is kind of a cool one here. I love this one. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. A very famous prophecy 
Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Again, more than we have time to get into tonight, but in this prophecy, Dan, uh, sorry, Ezekiel's told to prophesy to these valley of dry bones. And who are the dry bones representing? The whole nation of Israel. It's described there. It tells us what it represents. But he's told to prophesy to it. And when he does, all of a sudden the bones start coming together like a skeleton. And then on top of that, sinew comes and flesh and then skin, but there's no breath in them. Like I've already touched on, has there been a regathering of Israel? Has the nation of Israel become a nation again, miraculously in our day since 1948? Yes. But the breath, as you're going to see in just a little bit, is the Spirit of God. And even though they're up and moving around, there's no breath in them yet. But that's going to happen too. When God made this prophecy, He said the nation of Israel thinks they're done and cut off, but they won't be. Actually, I'm going to bring them back from the dead. I'm going to bring them back out of their graves. And we'll see that at the end of chapter 12. When we get to chapter 12 of Daniel, Daniel's told that he's going to go sleep with his fathers. He's going to go die and his body's going to go in the dust of the earth. He's going to go be in the presence of the Lord. But at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth... All the righteous of Israel who have had faith in God's provision for their sin are going to be brought back to live into the land. That's why God says, Jesus himself said in that day, there's going to be people coming from the east and the west, the north and the south, and they're going to enjoy the kingdom in Israel with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The nation of Israel is going to be, those who believe in Jesus are going to be brought back and they're going to be made righteous and God's going to put His Spirit within them. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. So put a bookmark in Ezekiel 37. Go to Zechariah chapter 6 again. Go to Zechariah chapter 6. I'm oh, sorry, we went to Zechariah 2 before. Now we're in Zechariah chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 8. 
And by the way, back in Ezekiel 37, we saw that the four winds of heaven were God orchestrating this. Zechariah 6, verses 1 through 8. Again, I lifted my eyes and I saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven. After presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth, the chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country, the white one goes after them, and the dappled ones go toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth, and then he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Again, we don't have time to break down this prophecy, because otherwise we wouldn't get to our four beasts yet tonight. That we're going to get to hopefully three of them. But for right now, I want you to see again, look again at verse, six, at verse 5. And the angel answered and said to me, these, these are going out to the four winds of heaven. Again, it's not just universality. It's also God's activity across the globe. Go to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Look at verse 1. It says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. Now for years I used to thought that that meant there was no wind blowing, that it was deathly still. But I've come to realize now that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about God's judgments being withheld across the globe until the 144,000 are sealed. Once they're sealed, then all the stuff begins to happen on the earth. That's why when we did our study of Revelation back in 2015 and we studied chapters 4 through 22 chronologically, the first thing we had happen was the sealing of the 144,000 because nothing can happen on the earth until after they're sealed at that time of the beginning of the tribulation period. But again, the four winds of heaven show the worldwide universality of what God's doing, but it's also God who's doing it. Psalm 104 has told us that a long, long time ago. Go to Psalm 104. Look at verses 1 through 4. Psalm 104, verses 1 through 4. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the, the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. This is going to kind of move toward our third aspect. Like I told you, there's three aspects of the four winds of heaven. The first one is the universality of what God's doing. The second is the fact that God's the one acting and doing this work across the globe. The third one is this. The word wind also could be translated breath or spirit. It's the, the Hebrew word ruach. If you were to go back to Ezekiel 37, remember I told you to put a bookmark into it. He's told to prophesy to the what? The breath, the wind, the breath of God. If you go back to Genesis and look at the creation of Adam and Eve, and it talks about the fact that he created Adam's body out of the dust of the earth, but then he breathed life into him and he became a living soul. 
A lot of times when I'll preach funerals, I'll use an illustration of a glove. And I'll take a glove and put it on my hand, and you'll see the glove get up and move around. But then I'll take my hand out of the glove and lay it there on the pulpit, and the glove doesn't move. But the hand is still there. This is where our life really is. The glove is just a shell. What we see is God made his body out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed life into him and became a living being, living soul. And when we die, if we have had faith in Jesus Christ and we've been declared righteous and our spirit's been made alive again so we can connect with God, even though our bodies go back to the dust of the earth, who we are is still alive and we go be with him. And so we see that the four winds of heaven are doing something and it's being done by God and it's being done by God's spirit. Go back to Ezekiel 37. Look again one more time at just verses 4 through 14. Ezekiel 37, verses 4 through 14. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. The bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people." I'll put my spirit within you and you shall live and I'll place in you, place you in your land and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. I got to talk to you about something real quick. You do hopefully understand that God's not done with Israel, right? This church age thing, this Saving of the Gentiles, the Bible says very clearly back in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21, and also in Romans chapter 11, in verses 25 and following, is to make Israel jealous. I want to give you a homework assignment. I want you to join with me in something. Spend time praying over Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14, and begin to ask God to do this. Now, there's a little bit of selfishness in there, maybe, because you know, but when God does this, he's going to have taken us to be with him prior to that, right? But I, how powerful will it be if the church says, God, you've promised that you would re reclaim and redeem Israel, and we want to see them come to know you. The, one of the things that excites me is the fact that I start looking for Jews as a whole starting to turn to Jesus in faith, and that's what I'm watching for. Because the Bible showed us back in the book of John that when a group of Greeks came to Jesus and they asked that they might see him, they actually went to Philip and he went and got Andrew and they told Jesus, a group of Greeks are wanting to see you. And Jesus' response was, it's time for me to die. Isn't that interesting? Well, remember, 
He had been sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The Spirit of God was drawing the Jews first. Gentile nations were being drawn individually at the time, but His Spirit was not moving as a whole to draw the Gentiles. But all of a sudden, Jesus is realizing, instead of a Gentile here or a Gentile there being drawn, there's now a group of Greeks who are wanting to see Jesus. And remember, no one comes to Him unless the Father draws them first. And Jesus is recognizing that my Father's moving His drawing from the nation of Israel to the Gentiles. It's time to go to the cross. Folks, you do realize this church age is going to come to a close. Israel has experienced the hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. And then all Israel that survives the tribulation period will be saved. Begin to pray that God would begin to draw Israel to himself. God, we've seen the bones come back together. We've seen the nation in our day become a nation again. We've seen part of this prophecy be fulfilled. And it's kind of cool to see the miracle of Israel being a nation again when they were gone for so many years. Almost 2,000 years, there was no nation of Israel. Oh, the Jews still existed, and in God's eyes there was. But as we could see, there was no Israel. And just like you've brought them back to be a nation again and have protected them miraculously in the nation and that tiny little piece of property about the size of New Jersey, that all the nations around them want them dead, yet they become more and more powerful, more and more amazing. They still have no breath in them. They're not a nation that worships the Lord. They're proud of their Zion heritage and their nation, national heritage, but they're not God-fearers. Oh, there are individual Jews that have come to faith, and I thank God for all those Christian ministries that are working to reach Jews for Jesus. But listen to me. There's going to come a point where God's going to stop moving his drawing of the nations, the Gentiles, and move it back to drawing the Jews. And that's what I'm watching for. Because you know, the moment we start to see groups of Jews coming to faith, I mean, the Bible says at the beginning of the tribulation period, there's going to be 144,000 that are going to be sealed to be witnesses over the whole globe. When God begins to draw the nation of Israel again, and you start to see a group of Jews, many Jews coming to faith, get excited. That means our time's coming to a close, and we're going to go be with him. Begin to pray. God, you've done part of this prophecy. Would you do the rest? Would you put your breath in them? Let's get back to our study. The first, the first uh, beast that he sees is Babylon. Go back to Jan Daniel chapter 7. Look at verses 3 through 4. And the four beasts, great beasts came up out of the sea. Four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. Now, a lion has been used in the Bible many times, by the way, folks, as a description of powerful nations that would judge Israel. I'm not going to take the time to show you those. I've shown you how God uses waters and what the winds of the four winds of heaven. I'm not going to bore you with the many times that God uses a lion to describe a judgment of a nation coming on Israel in its power. But I'm going to take you to one. Go to Jeremiah chapter 4 and look at verses 5 through 8. Because in this instance, God uses the term lion to describe Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 4, look at verses 5 through 8. Declare in Judah, Jeremiah 4, verse 5, Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet through the land. 
Cry aloud and say, Assemble, and let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard toward Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be in ruins without inhabitant. For this put on sackcloth, lament and wail. For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. So here, God's telling Israel, because of your sin, your disobedience, I'm going to send the Babylonians. And they're described as a lion. But the lion in Daniel's vision, remember this, this, these beasts are coming out of the great sea, out of the Gentile nations. It's being done by God. It's a universal thing. As you know, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the lion's kingdom, was not just there in Israel and over Babylon, but he had control over the globe. The lion had eagle's wings, though. Again, many times in Scripture, God uses the analogy of an eagle to show a nation's swift judgment or attack. You're in Jeremiah 4. Go to chapter 48 real quick. And then 49. Jeremiah 48. Look at verse 40. Jeremiah 48, verse 40. For thus says the Lord, Behold, one shall fly swiftly, like an eagle, and spread his wings against Moab. Jump over to chapter 49, look at verse 22. Jeremiah 49, verse 22 says this, Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Basra, and the heart of the warriors of Edom shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. Now, Again, we see that God's using the, the a picture of an eagle's wings as in swift judgment, swift attack. But there is a time when God not only used lion to describe Babylon, he also used eagle's wings to describe, or an eagle to describe Babylon. Go to Ezekiel 17. Ezekiel 17, verses 1 through 12. Some of you might remember this from our Ezekiel study. Ezekiel 17, verses 1 through 12. says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, propound a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Say, thus says the Lord God, a great eagle with great wings and long pinions, rich in plumage of many colors, came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. He broke off the topmost of its young twigs and carried it into a land of trade and set it in a city of merchants. Then he took of the seed of the land and planted it in fertile soil. He placed it beside abundant waters. He set it like a willow twig, and it sprouted and became a low-spreading vine, and its branches turned toward him, and its roots remind, remained where it stood. So it became a vine and produced branches and put out boughs. And there was another great eagle with great wings and much plumage, and behold, this vine bent its roots toward him and shot forth its branches toward him from the bed where it was planted, that he might water it. It had been planted on good soil by abundant waters, that it might produce branches and bear fruit and become a noble vine." Say thus, says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots and cut off its fruit so that it withers, so that all its flesh sprouting leaves wither? It will not take a strong arm or many people to pull it from its roots. Behold, it's planted. Will it thrive? Will it not utterly wither when the east wind strikes it, wither away on the bed where it sprouted? Then the word of the Lord came to me, say now to the rebellious house, do you not know what these things mean? Tell them, behold, the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and took her king and her princes and brought them into 
Babylon. So who is the eagle that came to the top of the tree and took off its, its topmost parts and took it off to another land? Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. So again, we've seen God tell the nation of Israel, I'm going to bring a lion to come at you from the north. And here we also see him use the picture of an eagle's wings. Now also very interesting, a lot of people may not know this, but all over Babylon were statuaries and images of lions with eagle's wings on them. They were in front of many of the palaces and lined an important street used for processions. If you lived in Babylon, you'd seen lions with eagle's wings on them. And the first beast that came up out of the sea was Babylon. But this lion had something amazing happen to it. If you remember from Daniel's vision, it was stripped of its wings and made to stand on two feet like a man. And it was given a mind like a man. Does anybody remember how this applies to Babylon? That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You remember our study of Daniel chapter 4? Go to Daniel chapter 4. Maybe you don't remember. Look at verses 28 through 37. Daniel 4, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the, great, the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power, the royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And he goes on and he talks about how, look at verse 36, same time, my reason was returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added. So what happened to him? He was... Made to live like an animal, but then the mind of a man was given back to him. Now, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue, there was gold and then silver and then bronze and then iron and then iron mixed with clay. Who did the gold represent in Nebuchadnezzar's dream? Babylon. We saw that very clearly. And he was even told, you're the head. But now Daniel, 50 years later, has been given a dream and a vision and he sees this beast, it's a lion with eagle's wings, and it had been given the, made to stand on two feet and given the mind of a man. Again, it, the first beast is Babylon. But also, like Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the kingdom of Medo-Persia comes next. The silver part of the statue is now described as a bear. Now, to be honest with you, this is the first time in Scripture we see a kingdom or a nation described as a bear. I, I'm not going to take you to show you the places where God used a bear to describe a nation. He never did before this time here. If it's ever uh, used the term bear, it's to describe something with ferocity, but it never describes a nation in specific. But there is something interesting that God says in Hosea chapter 13. Go to Hosea chapter 13. Look at verses 4 through 8. 
Hosea 13. Look at verse 4. And look closely at the animals that are listed here. Hebrew 13, verse 4. But I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt you know no God but me. And besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way and I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast and there I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. Isn't that interesting? He says, I'm going to come to the nation of Israel because... I'm the only God they've known since Egypt, although they've forgotten me. And to get their attention, I'm going to have to become like a lion, like a leopard, like a bear, and a wild beast. What did Daniel see in his vision? Four beasts. One was a lion, one was a bear, one was a leopard, and the other one was just a wild beast he can't even describe, which we'll get to next week. Two weeks, good point, Jeremy. Two weeks, because no Bible study next week. Go ahead. Well, I'll be honest with you, I can see some of that as well. And Daniel, sorry, David saying, I killed the lion, I killed the bear. We can definitely say that it wouldn't surprise us if there was such a thing. The only problem is he didn't kill a leopard, you know. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. This... <laughs> the bear, though, if you go back to Daniel, there's something about this bear that's kind of hard. If you've ever seen people draw pictures of these beasts, they always have trouble drawing the bear. A lot of times they have it laying on its side kind of a thing because it said it was lopsided, if you will. One side was raised up. Actually, if you know anything about the kingdom of Medo-Persia, remember the bear is the next kingdom, which is Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia was one kingdom... But the Persian side was always stronger, always larger. Go real quickly to Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 20. Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 20. We're not going to break this down too much, but Daniel's given another vision, this time of a ram and a goat, and it's going to be talking about these kingdoms again. But we'll see how he describes it here. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, vision appeared to me, Daniel after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in the Susa, it was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Uli Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one horn was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. So here, again, we're not going to break it down. We'll get to when we get to chapter 8. The ram is Medo-Persia. It has two horns, but one of the horns is larger than the other, and it came up after, which is the truth about Medo-Persia. The two kings, but Persia was the one who kind of came in, took over Medo-Persia. They reigned together, but Persian part was larger. Go to verse 20 in the same chapter, chapter 8, verse 20. And again, Scripture explains it. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media, Media and Persia. See, I didn't make it up. Again, folks, if we took the time to read the Bible, you'd be amazed. It explains itself. It's here. But God's designed it that it would be available to those who are willing to search and to study. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 says this. It's the glory of God to, to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings 
to search a matter out. God, you want a God that knows stuff you don't know. I mean, if, if God knew everything you knew or you knew everything God knew, who's God? He's not that impressive either. You want a God that knows stuff you don't know. But he also says, you'll find me if you'll seek me with your whole heart. If you're willing to search, if you're willing to study, I'll give you the ability. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to school. You have the spirit of God within you. You have the mind of Christ. Ask him. He'll show you these things. So first beast that he saw come out of the sea is Babylon. The second one is Medo-Persia. The three ribs in, in the, this beast of the bear's mouth are most likely the nations that it devoured to come into world power, and one of them most likely being Babylon. And the next beast in Daniel's vision is Greece. I'm just going to tell you it's Greece. This kingdom or beast looks like a leopard. Daniel chapter 7, verse 6 again says this. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. Sorry, not verse 7, verse 6. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with its four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. Now this two, beast too had wings on its back, but they were different. They're not described as eagle's wings, like the first beast. They're just simply described as wings of a bird. But how many wings are there? There's four of them. And how many heads does this leopard have? Four. Now, again, this matches with Greece. We're not going to have time to get into it. We'll deal with it more when we get to chapter 8, also in chapter 11. But this this is the only reference in Scripture of a leopard as referring to a specific nation. Although, remember, God had already showed us in Hosea 13, he's going to use a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a wild beast to deal with Israel. Uh, this is the only reference of leopard in Scripture as referring to a specific nation. But as with the other animals used in this passage, God did use a leopard describe, to describe swift judgment. Again, not going to take the time to turn there. If you want to double check me, write down Jeremiah 5.6. And Hosea 13.7, Jeremiah 5.6, and Hosea 13.7. Again, places where God uses a leopard to describe quick, swift judgment. Those of you that are uh, fans of history and you love studying history, you probably have come to realize there's a lot of history written about the Greece and Alexander the Great and his kingdom. Greece was swift, like a leopard in its conquest. And Daniel seeing them as a goat in Daniel 8 shows the speed of their movements. If you were to go back... And look at Daniel chapter 8 real quick. Go to Daniel 8. Look at verses 1 through 8 again. And how it describes the swiftness of the goat and the goat's movements. The goat is Greece. The, remember the ram is, is, is Medo-Persia. We'll jump to verse 4. We already left off in verse 3. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him and there was no one who could rescue from his power. But he did as he pleased and became great. Now, as I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across for the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. That's how fast he's moving. Some of them say it very swiftly in your translations. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between its, his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and they ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke its two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Does anybody know anything about the history of Greece and what happened after Alexander the Great's time? He was an amazing young man and he came into world power and he conquered a lot of the area. Quickly, fast, took over. But his time in leadership was very short. That one horn was very short. 
What happened to his kingdom after Alexander the Great died? It was divided into four parts. Just like God said through Daniel many, many, many years before it happened. Remember, at this time, Babylon's still in power. The lion's still in power. We're still in the gold part of the statue. You got 14 years still before Belshazzar is going to be killed and the, the next beast, the bear, comes and the silver part of the kingdoms that God's been showing him. And the specific detail of how after that kingdom is going to come Alexander the Great and the Grecian kingdom and how it's going to be divided into four parts. That's why a lot of people that don't want to accept the Bible being the word of God say, there's no way Daniel could have written that. There's no way. This was written afterwards. I mean, it's too specific. It's too detailed. Folks, let me tell you, God knows it all because he sees the beginning from the end. And he sees the end from the beginning. And the Bible says that this same one that's prophesied all these things that have happened, he also is going to come and set up a kingdom on the earth. It's going to happen. Sadly, so many Christians today don't believe that Jesus is actually coming back to the earth. They think that we're just going to finish here and all go off to heaven. Oh, if God said these things will happen, and didn't we read in Ezekiel 37 tonight that God told Israel, I'm going to bring you up out of the graves? I'm going to bring you back into your own land? It's going to happen. We should not think for a second that they were better than Israel. Romans 11 makes that very, very clear. Don't think. We've, we're wild olive shoots that have been grafted in. They're the natural branches. We should just be humble and grateful that God's allowed us to be a part of it. He's doing something with us that he's going to do for them in the last days. And we need to be praying, God, this isn't about us. This isn't about the church. This isn't about our kingdom come. Too much preaching is about your dominion and your authority and all this stuff. Folks, it's not about your dominion and your authority. It's about his dominion, his kingdom. When he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, what did he say? Our Father, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. What's the next part? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth. And yes, we can allow him to have his kingdom control and reign through us now as we yield to his spirit on a daily basis. But he taught us to pray for that day when Jesus himself comes and sets up his kingdom. We're going to look at the fourth beast next week. There's just so much detail because we're going to take a look at the fourth beast being Rome. Yet at the same time, this vision of the fourth beast is actually not just Rome, but it's the rebirth of the Roman Empire at the end. And we're going to see how that all comes together as we get into our study. Not next week, but two weeks because vacation Bible school. Between now and then, I've given you a homework assignment. What are we to pray for? For God to put his breath into Israel that he'll put his breath into Israel. You'll be blessed if you do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Jeremiah 5, 6. Jeremiah 5, 6. I'm here. I'm jumping back here, looking at it real quick. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure who the wolf is. I'd have to dive into that a little bit more. Right offhand, I can't answer it. It says, therefore, a lion from the forest shall strike them down. A wolf from the desert shall devastate them. A leopard is watching their cities. Everyone who goes out of them shall be torn in pieces. I'm going to have to go back and really take a look at it before I could answer it. But short, short answer is, I don't know who the wolf is. 
You probably could find out too, but at the same time, right offhand, I don't know. Does anybody else here have an idea of the wolf could be? And by the way, you better use Bible. This is a reference to Psalm 104. We got three minutes left. Let's all look at Psalm 104 and see what's going on. Hungry like the wolf. I don't think that's what they were talking about. But where in Psalm 104? Did it say what verse? All right, let's take a look here. This one just says, you make darkness and it's night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. Yeah. You say cross-reference Ezekiel twenty two twenty seven. 27. All right, let's take a look. See, this is what I do to prepare my studies anyway, guys. You get to, I get to do it with you now. Ezekiel twenty two twenty seven. 27. Let's take a look and see what's going on here. Yeah, I heard princes in the midst of like wolves tearing their prey, shedding blood. Again, yeah, but I, again, like I said, sometimes the wolf is to describe just the way it, the attack's going to happen. But that one in, in Jeremiah appears to be an, speaking about a nation, for sure. So, not Israel. So, We'll have, maybe you, you have some fun. Maybe when we get back together, we might deal with, with the question about the wolf first. But we'll definitely get into the fourth beast. Until then... I love you. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.